welcome, Mike. Thanks hey, for coming over. Thanks for um, having me. Uh, so when I had the idea to do a local podcast, you were one of the very first people that I wanted to have as a guest because your business so, is so cool and, and you're so congenial. Oh, thank you. Um, Flattered and honored. I really felt like it would be a good conversation. Um, I've never told anyone about your product that they weren't immediately interested. Oh, thank you. So I think you and I met... I don't know how many years ago. Three. Three, really? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I had a guitar at Guitar Center, and I really don't even remember why I brought it in to work on it. But you worked on it for me, and I think you and I probably talked for a couple hours yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was one of your PRS. Yeah. 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 Um, and in the context of that discussion, you were telling me about this business that you were trying to launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I studied economics in college and I, I have a full appreciation for anybody that decides to be an entrepreneur, um, especially someone who's an entrepreneur who makes art a, as their product. Um, it, it definitely takes a special, uh, individual with a very special set of committed ideas, ideals, and beliefs Yeah, because of the risk <laughs> that it is, right? you know? Well, Which is awesome. There's financial risk, but there's also there are a lot of psychological battles oh, yeah. that a person has oh, yeah. to has to fight through. Uh, and so, just just by you telling me I'm trying to bring this product to market, here's my vision for what it is, and you showing me examples of it, I just thought, you know, it's cool that that guy's here in Lexington. That's somebody that I want to have a relationship with. That's Thank somebody you. that I want to support. Thank you. Um, and we just kind of bonded talking music, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so tell me. Um, and everyone at home, <laughs> um, the the about the, your idea for the Bourbon Barrel Guitar Company mm-hmm. uh, and when that happened. Okay, um, it actually happened about five years ago, and I I'm 56 now, so in my early 30s, um, I lived out in the country, had a barn, and decided I wanted to start building musical instruments, guitars and basses um, for myself, and the um, idea. It was kind of a loosely structured idea was that I wanted them to meet certain criteria. Um, the I'm, I'm going to list them, not necessarily in order of this one matters more, but this was kind of my, my generic thinking of what would this look like. And the thing that hit me right early on was they had to be beautiful pieces of art, you know, and then as beautiful pieces of art, where would I find them? Well, they're not going to be in most music stores. They're going to be in art galleries or special exhibits, you know. And then if I could find them, they'd probably be out of my reach financially. And I wasn't predestining myself to uh, uh, being a pauper. (laughs) No, no. It's just in in our society and, I mean, just around the world, if something something with um, an expensive price tag is automatically deemed valuable. Okay, it's perception. Perception is reality for most people. Um, so with that thinking, that was motivation for me to really, okay, whatever comes from my hands, whatever I'm going to build, that's the pedestal. That was my what I was going to shoot for. Okay, um, they'd be few and far between. They'd be one of a kind. They'd be treasured. They'd be prized. They'd be highly desired. And 
years from now, that would even be more of an increase. I'm, I'll be gone, you know. Um, so that thinking was my was my standard for instruments that I built for myself and for a few of my friends. Move that forward twenty years. Um, five years ago, uh, we had a really heavy winter, and I remember specifically from like Christmas to into February, there was like three snows that were eighteen to twenty inches a piece, you know, and. So, you know, shoveled a lot of snow, and I remember I came in one afternoon um, and sat down and actually poured up a glass of bourbon and was just sitting in a chair chilling, well, relaxing, chilling, but also I wanted to physically warm up, you know. And uh, I had an acoustic guitar propped over in the corner on a stand, and uh, I remember kind of like looking through your glass right there. It just it was in my line of sight, and I held the thing up, I thought, Man, that's a pretty color, yeah. you know, on a guitar. And then I, I just, out of the blue, it hit me. It's like, I wonder if anyone had ever built an electric guitar from a bourbon barrel. Okay, so I sat on it for about a year and just, just researched it and, and looked and realized that best I could find, the answer was no. And I found a couple instances where people had used parts of them in some type of construction. And, and those were just on basically the body, you know, the top or maybe the back. So I thought, okay, um, I'm going to figure this out. And the whole um, premise was the instrument had to come, all the wood in it had to come completely from a used barrel. Okay. They're eastern white oak. They come from basically, I think, Missouri and Arkansas is where most of the wood is grown and harvested that the cooperages, you know, build the barrels from. Um, so it wasn't going to be go to the wood place where you can buy planks of wood and buy Eastern White Oak and build a guitar. No, 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 no. The, the whole mystique is they have to come from barrels. Okay. Well, that's a pretty cool thing because bourbon, you know, is huge, not just as a something you drink around here, but it, it, it's a cultural phenomenon that is, right. is increasing exponentially worldwide, which I think is fabulous um, and for so many reasons. But the wood had to come from a used barrel. Okay, well, right there from a woodworking standpoint, the odds are completely stacked against you. Okay, because the wood has been intentionally exposed to the elements, abused almost, if, if you want to think of it from a woodworking standpoint. Uh, it sat out in sub-zero temperatures at times. It's over 100 degrees at times. You know, in the central Kentucky, we've got four pretty distinct seasons. Where were we? We were talking about where did I come up with the idea to build a guitar out of a bourbon barrel? Okay. Um, so, it, as I said, we had a pretty strong winter. I shoveled some snow and uh, had the idea, wondered if anyone ever built one. And my research showed me no. So, okay, okay, figure this out. And it's been about a year just every once in a while thinking about it and finally came up with when I looked at what are the parts of an electric guitar um, there's no pieces well when you look at how a guitar is built those pieces don't really exist in a barrel <laughs> in in the pieces that are in the barrel to start with you Definitely know not. and um, so I think okay since my whole thing is it's got to come from just barrel wood that means I got two pieces Two types of wood for the options. Well, not two types, but two, two shapes, two, two, whatever staves and head pieces. Right. The staves are they're they're curved in three different radii, 
Okay, they're not they're machined that way out of a rectangular piece of wood. They're not steamed and bent and pressed. So they're reasonably stable because they're actually cut in three different planes to do that. The tops are flat pieces that are joined, and then you know the twenty about a twenty-two inch circle um, or diameter. Okay, how can I get what I want to do? And my initial thinking was I was going to use the staves to create the body. And then when I looked at them, the curves are just way too tight. It just was not going to work. And so with the different radii, all right, so I had to rethink that. But then the, the, the main challenge um, before, I mean, in my head at that point was how do I get a neck? And again, when you look at barrels, it, it kind of looks like you know, the staves, some of the wider side pieces might work, but it, they're not going to because of, of the curvature in them. So <clears throat> I decided, all right, let's look at this differently. And some guitars are made necks or they're two-piece necks made with a scarf joint, which is a woodworking thing you cut at an angle and it's used to um, take two smaller pieces of wood to give you a longer piece with an angle in it okay and it's actually a commonly used technique in guitar neck building when um, conservation matters okay you're, you're there's less waste that way um, a glue joint itself is actually stronger than the surrounding grain you know so the way um, I, I looked at it, and so then my only option is there to have flat pieces of wood are going to be out of the head, barrel head, okay? The center pieces of the head. All right, so I looked at that and did some measurements and made some cuts and experimented a little bit and came up with what I was satisfied with as what was going to be a neck blank that I could actually carve a neck out of with an angle in it. And the angle has varied. I started a little... 13 or 14 degrees I've, I've moved it to 11 degrees 11 is is enough the headstock pitch back um, but also that plays a role in, in actually fitting in a case okay that extra two or three degrees sometimes pitches it too far back and it's it's, it's a hard thing when you if you look at it from the side you need a, 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 a thicker deeper box to put something in that's that's more of an angle all right so settled on 11 degrees uh, um, settled with the neck blank and then the last piece of it was um, I wanted aesthetically and artistically the fretboard had to be a single piece of wood once again the very center piece of these heads is actually long enough for an electric guitar not for a bass but for an electric guitar I can get a fretboard out of a single piece even up to a 24 fret neck alright so I thought okay I can make the neck out of the pieces that I have out of the barrel head. All right, that on requirements, check, check, check. That, that's a possibility. How do I make the body? And then I um, just looked at it, and when I looked at it, um, I thought, okay, my first idea wasn't going to work because of the geometry of what's there. So I actually tried cutting staves down. Take a you know 32-inch stave, whatever, however long they are, and cut the ends off on a wider board now i have a less of a radius curve when you look at it from the side okay well then when i tried to level and straighten to get a true rectangle it shaved it down to nothing it just was not possible again with the measurements of the three different radii and how this thing is machined so okay that's not going to work and so then i just looked at it and thought 
Guitars have tops, they got backs, they got sidewalls, a barrel has a top, it's got a bottom, you know, head and head, and it's got sidewalls, which are the staves. Okay, so what I need to do is squish the barrel and shape it like a, a guitar body. So that was my thinking, okay, and that's what I did. So then uh, when I made the first one, um, it took me two months of just trying this and that. And um, that actually was out of Buffalo Trace head. And uh, I own the instrument. Buffalo Trace has been really cool. It's actually on display at their distillery. Um, I'm real proud of that, you know. So once I, I got that concept figured out, it's like, okay, now what, what do I do? And so oak is a very dense, heavy wood. These feel like they're solid bodies, but they're not. They're semi-hollows. Okay. And so I started the first one actually four years and a month ago and got the first one finished. It'll be four years in June. That's the Buffalo Trace one. And in that time, um, you know, I worked a job um, doing guitar repair at a local place, you know, part-time and as we have been doing my bourbon bro guitar company on a part-time basis, just realistically, how can I get this thing off the ground? I'm not going to rush. I'm not going to mass produce these, you know, um, they are completely handmade. The amount of time it takes to get one piece to line up with the next is damn near insane. When you talk to most people or think about it, it's a crazy amount of patience. There's a lot of, of glue faces that have to dry, you know, um, it's, it's apparent when you really look at it. It's not apparent when you first look at it. So the actual production piece of time of, of how long it takes to do these, you know, it, keeping track, I've, I've gone through some different performers, um, kept records. They take anywhere from 50 to 100. My hands on, I'm cutting, doing something time with them. 5,200 hours? Hours, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah okay. to produce. Um, that's not a... Five days a week, 10 hour, I start Monday, it's done Friday. Right. <laughs> it just doesn't happen right. that way. Um, you got to make the cuts. You got to let the wood, depending on the age of the wood, how how young or how dry or how wet is it. And that's pretty much the heads. Um, it's got to be dry enough to use to where it's going to behave. That can happen. I won't say quickly. You can kiln dry them on a fresh head. But the, the best thing is you know, the rule of thumb, if I recall correctly, for letting wood dry to use is an inch per year. All right, these heads are almost an inch thick. Really, you break a barrel open, you want to just let the head sit for a year in heat and whatever, you know, just air dry. Um, so then when you, there's two styles of heads. And so I'm, I'm thinking, I'm kind of jumping around, but I wanted to, I was fascinated with the, uh, what's on the barrel heads themselves. And I was thinking when I went to a liquor store and I saw this pretty cool label, that that's what was on the heads of the barrels. Most of the part, most of the time, hardly at all. Very few distilleries actually have a lot of label and ink and color on the actual barrel heads themselves. Unnecessary expense for them. Well, you know, it could be. Um, I mean, every step in production of manufacturing obviously takes time, which means it costs money in some capacity. So it becomes a value assessment thing, whatever. Most of the time, most people don't ever see the barrels that are in the barrel house, right. you know, and they think pretty much barrels a barrel. Okay, I understand that. Um, artistically, I wanted, when you look at these, um, I wanted the tops, I, I want them to look like these were 
in the barrel house with the barrels the whole time the barrel was in the barrel house aging. Okay. What's fun about it is you have to age the bourbon in the oak barrels, and then you have to age the wood after it's a barrel for it to be a bourbon barrel guitar. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It it really is, man. And um, so I wanted them to to look like the barrels. I wanted them to feel like the barrels. Um, You won't get splinters. But a lot of times, the once the barrels have been in the warehouse, you know, the wood moves, the wood cups, they're not table smooth like this. You can feel seams. Um, it is what it is, you know. And so I wanted to engage all the senses uh, in what these are. So sight, sound, scent, smell, touch, taste. And yeah, they're all engaged, you know. Um, from the building of it to the when it's finished, to the playing of it, all the senses really are still engaged, even taste. Okay, we'll get to that. Um, but it, it just was really a neat thing. Okay, so I, I built the first one, and then I had a bunch of different ideas about, well, what if I do this, and what can I do that, and what type of finishes? And um, a huge factor in, in how this came about was what I... Uh, what I had in my shop and what I didn't and still don't have in my shop. Okay. And, um, my life was going through a transition and it's like, okay, I got to make some decisions about some different things. I'm in a place that doesn't have air conditioning. I do have a heater in the winter time, but basically my shop environmentally is kind of equivalent to what the barrels have to put up with year round. They're in buildings that are not air conditioned. They're not heated. Um, depending on where they are topographically and geographically, there's going to be temperature and environmental, you know, exchanges seasonally. Um, but some of these barrel houses, they get really hot in the summertime, especially the higher up. And a lot of them stay kind of cool lower to the ground year round, you know? So anyway, that thinking my shop nine months out of the year is uncomfortable as being polite, <laughs> you know, my shop is not conducive for building conventional guitars and trusting that all the wood's going to behave like it's supposed to, you know. But that's fine because I kind of joked with it. It wasn't a limitation of what I didn't have. It was part of the equation of what I did have to contribute to what is it that I'm able to produce with what I have to work with, not with what am I restricted by, you know. And so I'm fine with that. And then the, another piece of this was going back to 25 plus years ago when I started building the first instruments that were neck through, that were designer pieces that I still have, you know, five or six of them. And I built some for my friends. Um, thinking about, and I, I painted for a couple of years in a guitar shop. I loved it. And I was good at it. I still know I'm good at it. I still love it. I'm just not set up for it. Okay. That point may come again in my life at some point as part of a service I offer through either Bourbon Barrel or some other projects I'm working on. Um, But realizing I'm not set up environmentally to do full sprays of nitro and, you know, stuff that people really love. Um, The space that it takes to commit to doing that because you can't just spray it today and ship it out tomorrow. Most, I mean, I guess it's possible. It just doesn't always work out great for the guitar, you know. So it's like, okay, it's a limitation. Well, it's a non-issue. It's just not part of the equation. And the other thing that was huge um, on a spiritual, emotional, personal gut level was 
I'm a unique individual just like you are, okay? I'm building one-of-a-kind pieces of art that are instruments. I don't want to try to compete with everybody else doing what they're doing. And I, any, anybody that has the uh, guitar-sticles to go out on their own or partner up with somebody and actually bring a vision to life is awesome. I, I totally applaud whoever those people are, wherever they are. It's not about what they're the design specifically. It's the fact that they've taken the step to go out on that limb, you know. And so, but that helped me even further laser define and focus the limb I'm going to go out on. No one else is on it. I'm, I, I don't have the financial capacity to compete in the arena that everyone else is competing in. I'm not looking to be a major unit producer. Um, that's not who I am. That's not what my art is. That's not what my instruments are. They're, they're unique individuals. They all have a soul and a spirit. They all have names. Most of them are female. I just like that as a guy, you know. And I try to name them related or appropriate to the distillery they came from. Or if that can't be identified, what else is, is there about that head or that top that justifies the name? And I've I got some examples I can, you know, I'll explain those later for you. Um, but back to the construction of it. And so when I started building them and I realized, okay, I've, I've got, I understand what this is. Um, I looked at, you know, there's over the last 50 years, 60 years, there were, there's been two major guitar manufacturers of electric guitars. And the third one came along 30, 30 ish years ago. Okay. So, you know, everybody knows about the work Leo Fender did with Fender and the ground. He broke his models um, the same thing with Gibson. Um, Ted McCarty was probably the one in the late 50s and 60s who's credited with all the stuff that makes Gibson the wow factor, whether you're a player or not, you, you want to give credit to, to him and Les Paul, you know. Um, so there's that. There's the Gibson style of instrument. There's the Fender style of instrument. They look different. They sound different. The construction's different. And then 30-ish years ago, you know, Paul Reed Smith came along with... Um, great ideas and one heck of an artistic vision. And so now I'm 56 years old. So I've watched that happen since I was in school, which is really cool to see as a, as a person, as a guitarist, as a luthier, as a art appreciator, you know, and just um, that there were two major competitors and they've been bought and sold, you know, corporate business type stuff. And then here's this, this other person that had the vision and, you know, still is executing his vision. And um, so I had the privilege of meeting him three, four years ago, I guess. And he came to Lexington and I, I brought a guitar, you know, heard his, his presentation. And then um, afterwards, you know, thanked him for just everything I've, that he's done that I'm aware of and just the ground he's broken. And I asked him, um, I said, because I'm, I'm not presumptuous. I said, I built a guitar almost 20 years ago. I looked at your design. It inspired me. It is not a copy of your design. But I'd like you to just get your hands on it and just genuinely offer me your opinion. Okay. And I don't know. I mean, some people in, in his position, he could have refused. Um, here's this magnet of guitar production and art known around the world. You know, his initials that are on his birth certificate are what people know. PRS, Paul yeah. Reed Smith, you know, his parents did him justice, you know. He goes, sure. I said, what's well, down in my car? So I went and got it. And 
just put it in his hands and he played it. He goes, wow, this thing is loud. And um, he said. Meaning resonant. Resonant. Yeah, not plugged in, just right. you know, playing it acoustically. And um, I said, there's a ton of things that didn't come out like I wanted. I said, but this was a, just a prototype experiment, you know, for me 20-something years ago. And he played it. He said, the neck feels amazing. I said, okay, thank you. And so he was real nice, you know. And so, um, you know, that was that. But that was very affirming to me that um, here I was, just this one guy here in Lexington just had this idea and just wanted to do something for himself and um, was willing to have someone of his uh, fame and his his stature, his importance, you know, whatever set of words you want to put on it to actually get hands on it. But then to be honest, you know, and he was, and and what he said was very affirming to me just as one person, as, as a builder, an instrument I built for myself, you know, and what he liked about it, he, he recognized what he recognized he liked about it was intentional on my part that I built that way intentionally for myself. And that's, that's all I need to say, you know, um, that was really cool. That was really cool. And so, um, artistically, I started then thinking, well, what other finishes, if you will, what other top options, what other construction type options that you see and touch, what are actually there? Well, you look at a barrel, there's the, there's the stamped outer head. There's the non-stamped other outer head, which is generally the bottom or the, you know, the lower end, whatever. But when they rack them, they're, they're horizontal. So there's not a top or a bottom. There's an east or a west, basically. So they're, they're laying horizontal. One end is stamped. One end is not. It, it's, that's just the way it is. Okay. So then I got to thinking, well, if you turn the head over, it's charcoal. All right. You scrape the charcoal away and there's black burned underneath the charcoal but you get down to the wood that still has some density that's not just scraping away or pushing your finger in okay so that's a finish so then um i got a friend um who said i want you to build me one what do you want he goes well i'm not quite sure all right so the second guitar i built started out is was going to be scrape the charcoal away and it's a black top um, also wanted the colors and the textures and the materials to as accurately and as reproducibly possible um, that are used in the distilling of bourbon or in the, the barrel. The whole thing, everything on everything that I've built, I can look at and explain to you and tie it right back to the bourbon production or the industry. And that's intentional. Okay. With the exception of some of the parts that and even with those, even the metal that's used or the finishes probably are in some of the tooling that's, you know, in the stills or whatever. But I want them just to, all five senses engaged, speak bourbon, smell bourbon, taste bourbon, touch bourbon, hear bourbon, you know. Um, so then I started, I started working on it and he goes, well, the black's cool, but what if we, um, what if we take it a little further? And he's a bourbon aficionado. He's an educator. Um, his work is very well known throughout the world. It's my friend Doug Doug Boyd with UK. Um, he's director of oral history, you know, at the Nun Center, and um, guitar player, you know. And we've been friends. We used to live in the same neighborhood. His wife Jenny's awesome. His girls are dog. You know, his girls are great. His dog's awesome. Just just a true heart connection, you know, for how many years now. 
And he goes, well, let, let's go through and, and get rid of the black and see what's underneath it. So because the boards were cupped, I, I didn't bring his guitar. I brought one that, you know, I can show you kind of parts of what looks like it. Um, but because the boards are cupped and you run them through a planer, it's a straight blade. The higher spots on either side of the board are going to be removed and they're going to be a different color because of the combination of how it was burned, the red line of the bourbon moving in and out of the wood seasonally. Okay. You're going to get a, a, a variation of like a dark brown, a rusty brown to a creamy beige looking color. Um, so um, we started playing it down and it's like, he goes, oh my gosh, that is beautiful. And so what we ended up with on his, his front and back are actually the inside, the underneath sides of the heads that are planed down through the burned area into the red line. Okay. So like this one on the end here, this is Derby. Um, that's an example of what we did with Doug's. That one, we didn't go as far, but you can see the, the, the stripes coming up or down are a lighter color. That's where more wood has been removed. Okay. Again, because the boards were cupped. His, we took a little further and there's more of the blonde and lighter color, but there's this beautiful variation of caramel to dark chocolate in coloring, you know? So that was a, okay, that's another finish. So I got the, I got the, the stamp top, the no stamp. I got the, the charred black and I got the, uh, I call it the bourbon burst. And because, um, he and I are good friends, I, I dubbed it to, you know, people on the inside it's called a boyd burst <laughs> all right so down down the road 30 years from now we're all sitting at a bar having a drink or whatever and if the topic of what what's a boyd burst well some people may know it and most people won't you know and maybe by then i'll have my coffee table books and pictures and all that stuff but um so that was four different finishes and then i thought okay what's some other ones i can do and um over you know the last couple of years i've built a couple of guitars that have been um donated to some charities and um one of them uh, did an angel's envy uh, guitar wes henderson over there was really really nice about participating um and you know providing the head and uh, these were for kids cancer alliance the last two years um that one brought fifty five hundred dollars and then um last year uh, the beam brands were the kind of the sponsor and um that one ended up, I used uh, gold, silver, and copper leaf on each of the guitars, each of the two years. The designs on them reflected the number of children that had participated in the in the camp and the number of kids that had died, you know, since that participation. And so uh, I've got a lot of pictures of, of those two builds. Some of them are on my website. I'm in the midst of, but I'm slowly getting to actually redoing the photo gallery because what I want is eventually each guitar to have its own story page that I've built. And I've got a ton of production pictures of each guitar over the past four years. I built 25, 26, but that was really cool. You know, just, so how am I going to do these different designs? But as I'm, you know, going through figuring out different possibilities, you know, to offer, you know, customers. So then I came up with uh, the whole burst concept. Okay. Well, it's a lighter color and a darker color on the outside. So, no, oh, that's pretty cool. That's another one. And uh, so I'm able to achieve that, you know, by special, uh, it's really top shaker, but it's not, it's a torch. <laughs> Just stay out of the way. And um, so, you know, burn the edges. And then um, was working on the one that was going to be covered with some of the leaf. 
and I put boards together from heads that really didn't match it, that I wasn't going to count on having to see what the actual top of it was that was going to be covered with the leaf. So as I was standing and planing down, I came up with this really crazy cool finish of a top that um, had been weathered. And yet, as I'm planing it, I'm starting to lose some of the edge stuff. Well, then I took the torch and torched the edges again because when I was going to finish the manufacturing and the wood was going to be exposed, I wanted to see the, the dark edge. And then there's, there's this faded. So then I'm starting to sand off to smooth down. And as I'm removing wood with sandpaper, I now have this burst, which is darker edges, but everything's now lighter and faded looking like it was starting to get bleached out. Well, that's, that's like a faded burst. That's really cool. And then um, I built one that's uh, for sale. Her name is Ginger. And uh, she has a unique option of how she's plumbed, <laughs> literally. And I, I set it up to where um, it could actually be hooked into a still and be part of the distillation process. You, you can access both sides of the waste. There's fittings. There's a you know copper pipe that goes through. And um, with her, I wanted to uh, use copper leaf. So it came out awesome. And then a couple years ago, I started, when I first was doing these, um, the inlay dots on the fingerboard are hand-rolled clay. So think about when you're in first, second, third grade, wherever you got to Play-Doh and you're rolling out the worms and making spaghetti noodles, you know? So roll out different colors, put them together, kept playing with that. Stuff them in a tube, cook them, come out and cut them. And with magnifying glass, it's like, oh my gosh, the design that's in there, you know? So two years ago... Um, I had a gentleman say to me, for people that don't understand what a guitar really looks like, he goes, what do you, you know, make, make them look artistically, make them stand out on the wall. Okay. So then that got me thinking, I need to do stuff with the fretboard a little bit differently. Okay. So then I was thinking, okay, fretboard has inlays. Some of them are in the middle. Some of them are all over. And what came to me was what type of inlay am I going to do? I'm going to take phrases that are part of the bourbon industry that are relative that most people, if they pick up a bottle or they see an advertisement, they're going to either see Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, those four words. They might see bottled in bond, which means as a government standard, it's exactly 50% alcohol. It's a hundred proof. Um, and so then there's another, so I've, I've built a couple with that and I've, I've experimented with some coloring and some inlay techniques um, so I've got those two phrases. Um, there's another one that I've, I'm going to do I haven't done yet. And the bourbon is known as America's Native Spirit. So the fretboard inlay is going to be America's Native Spirit. Um, and then I think taking that one a little further, okay, I, I um, Jefferson's, I, you know, I got a pretty cool relationship with the people over there. And their advertising phrase is ridiculously small batch bourbon. It's actually on their barrel heads that are in the warehouse. So I was able to get some heads and lay it out. And I've got one here. Her name is Jennifer. Um, let's see. Yeah, she's down here on the end. But ridiculously small batch runs across this way. Okay. So then I took that and had the uh, fretboard lasered with that phrase and did the inlay. And so I've got a gentleman on the West Coast that's he's, he's buying this one. I'm going to build the next one, and I'm going to change the inlay color. And so as I've experimented with these to try to have them be authentic to the copper and the aged tarnished copper, unless you're right up on it, 
It doesn't just pop out. Not enough contrast. Not enough contrast. When you're up on it, it's like, damn. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so the next round of what I'm going to be doing over the next year or two is there's going to be more contrast on some of the fretboard inlays. Um, when I first started, uh, what am I going to name them? What am I going to call them? You know, what's the logo going to look like? What's easy to remember? Why would it be easy to remember? And I thought about it and, you know, my last name is Mankel, M-A-N-K-E-L. It's a German name. There's six letters. You can play around with lettering and fonts, come up with something. But on a headstock, you know, Gibson is six letters. You look at the layout, Fender is six letters. What's the real estate look like with what you got to work with and all that? So I thought it's not important that my name's on it, you know, blatantly for, for someone to look and see. What is important is, does my logo tell the story of what it is, and is it easy to see? And, you know, Doug and I were talking about, because um, I kind of pretty much had the first one in process, and we're in his garage one day working on a little, you know, helping him with shelving or something, and I still have the napkin, and we just started wrote out. And initially, you know, what are we going to call it? What's it going to be? And I already decided my name is Bourbon Barrel Guitar Company. The reason I did that was when I created the website, or Doug helped me with that. And this is total truth. If it doesn't matter where you lived, where you're from, what language you spoke, whether you were sober, whether you were drunk off your butt, whether you were tripping on acid, you know, three bags into the bong, whatever it was, if you're trying to talk about it and you're incapacitated, what would you say? For someone to actually do an internet search, the three words that would come out of your mouth would be bourbon, barrel, guitar. You punch those three in and it comes right up. All right. And so it's a funny story to actually tell, but it, it's the absolute truth, you know. And then so because I've got bourbon barrel guitar company, if I had my own bourbon, what would be on the barrel stamped on the end? You know, and well, that's what it would be. So it's like, okay. So now we, we laid it out and then started looking at how much room do I have on the headstock and what, what's a headstock shape going to be. My initial guitar I built has a different shaped headstock, which I use. It's kind of a narrow taper, which I'd use on other builds that I've done for myself. And none of them are exactly the same, but they all kind of have the same type of wider shoulders, narrower kind of neck with a point that's offset. Okay. Um, I just like the way it looked artistically. And so, um, as I'm looking in my shop, I've got some empty bottles. Okay. And so I, I can drink on the job if I want to. I, I say that tongue in cheek, uh, because I can. Um, but it also, if I want to do that and I do it, it's inspiring. If, you know, sometimes like, I'm going to take a shot here and we'll, we'll, what's coming next, you know? And, it's not just about taking a drink of bourbons. You know, I don't get a buzz. Um, I have, and if I want to, I will. But it's just it's the whole creative process of the inspiration of. Then when I do it, when I glue, I I put bourbon in with the glue. All right. Sometimes I pour it and rub it in. Sometimes I take a shot and spit it in it. <laughs> All right. But it's there. So then on another on a deeper artistic level, my DNA is in each one, not just blood or fingernail scrapings you know but and there's always blood in one of them and, and every guitar has blood in it okay it's just the way it happens 
Um, so my DNA is in each one. You know, I've got saliva and the bourbon. Um, so getting back to the headstock shape. And what I figured out was looking at the size and the scale and the proportion of what a headstock normally is relative to scale length and body measurements, the, the paddle headstock type shape, it's an angled back. So there's basically two kinds. There's the ones that angle back and there's the, there's the ones that come straight off. So the fender style, um, they basically take a one inch thick board and the neck is machined out of it. And the headstock is level with the fretboard. It's just at a lower level. Right. Okay, so then the string angle, the break, whatever, you accomplish that by putting string trees and changing angle string coming down. The other way to accomplish a string angle is to pitch the headstock back an equivalent amount. So looking at guitars that have the headstocks pitched back, the Gibson-style design, the Paul Reed Smith design, uh, a lot of the jazz boxes over many years, okay, pitch back size. I landed on a generic shape of an upside-down bottle, Okay. They're all a little bit different size. I've got a basic template I draw it out on, but then by the time I cut it on the bandsaw, do some sanding, if I got to glue some wings on, they never come out exactly the same, which is fine. These are all handmade things. You know, I'm not using a CNC to crank these puppies out. And so I'm fine with that. So then I thought, okay, the orientation of my logo. And I initially was thinking a little thing like the size of a quarter. Okay. Well, you can't see it. And I was going to put it up at the very end where most of these designs are. So, no, wait a minute. I'm putting the time in to build this thing. I want it to be seen and recognized. I'm going to make this thing as big as it can be. And so that's what I did. So from across a room, even though I have readers on these, I can still read that that's his Bourbon Bell Guitar Company. Okay. So the first time, first ones I was doing were like, this is Angie. This is Susan. Um, the headstock, I left exactly natural color, had the logo lasered with just uh, Bourbon Bro Guitar Company on it. And then I started having the year put in it, um, in a little box underneath. And then a couple years ago, a young man came up to me and he said, why is your name not on it? I said, well, because that's not the primary reason I'm doing it. He goes, that's, he says, no, your name needs to be on it. And so... I'll autograph the back of a headstock is just, that's my signature. Okay. And sometimes inside the control cavity. Well, then I looked at my logo and a, there's space above bourbon. I played around. So here's my signature. So it evolved into just the name of the company, then the name of the company with the date. And then that with my signature lasered into it. And so I also then wanted to, from the front and the back, whenever anybody looked at them, you could tell what year they were by Obviously, you see the year in the headstock logo, but then I do the same smaller logo on the back um, between the ferrules where the screws are to hold the neck on. So from the backside, it's dated. Okay. Smaller, but it's still there. Um, I thought that was a pretty cool touch. Well, then as all this is unfolding and evolving, and I decided I need greater visual contrast from an artistic standpoint, and how do I even make my logo stand out further? Well, a lot of guitarists have black headstock faces. Okay, so black's in charcoal. It works. It's part of the whole bourbon thing. You know, I, I can legitimately draw the connection. Okay, fine. So then I decide I'll spray the, the face of the headstock black and then scrape away or mask off or whatever to where my logo in the natural color of the wood that's in the oak shines through. And so 
Sometimes they're light. Sometimes they're dark. Sometimes they're burnt. It's, it's whatever is actually in there. What the guitar itself calls it's for. What the, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's why the headstocks look like they do. That's why you can look over the evolution and see changes. They're all intentional. Um, I'm satisfied with that. And they're continuing to evolve. Uh, it's going to basically stay the same shape. It's going to get a little narrower just so I can reduce the amount of the angle of the string coming off of the nut. Um, obviously, in guitar design, if you can get a straight string pull, that's generally deemed the greatest from tuning stability. This type of design, it, it's not there, you know, which is fine. Um, well, to be fair, neither is a Gibson. Paul no, Smith no, 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 Ibanez. no, they're not. They're, yeah, they're, right. they're not. And it's just you either choose to design it that way or you choose not to. For me, the aesthetics have to work. And so I'm, I'm completely satisfied with what I've come up with. The other thing about the headstock design being an upside down bottle, um, proportionally and scale wise, the actual neck at the nut for the first two or three frets looks like a bottle neck. Right. Okay. So if you were to take pick a bottle and hold it upside down against all these, you're going to see, oh, yeah, it, it looks right. Right. You know? Um, With the taper. Yeah, yeah. So then that got me thinking, I mean, you know me well enough that there's different layers at different times, and some are kind of fast and some are kind of slow. But, okay, so I got a bottle. I got a upside-down bottle-shaped headstock with a neck on it. You're holding the neck. The bottle's upside down. If you hold a bottle upside down, what's inside it comes out, spills out, is released. Apply that to the guitar. When you're holding the guitar and you're playing it, the headstock's upside down. You're holding the neck. The spirit, America's native spirit, the spirit of the player comes down through the neck. The spirit of the player comes with how he's, he or she is playing with what's coming out of the guitar. It's All this on, on a lot of layers is, is all there. you know. So I feel good about that from a creative standpoint of being able to explain one, three, four different meanings of what just looking at that actually is it's it's a good story you know and it, and people can resonate with that you know when the, the spirit of the of the person comes out um in what they're here what they're playing how they're playing and when people can discern that and really recognize that most artists most people that play that i've ever had a conversation with if i can have a, a say something to them that acknowledges something I heard and what they did as a, man, that was cool. Here's what I thought I heard, here's what I noticed. It's always positive, you know? Um, so that's kind of how all this unfolded as far as artistically, why they look like they do. I chose the classic shape of a Les Paul body style, like the old juniors. Um, I wanted one pickup, one volume control, and a wraparound bridge tailpiece uh, for most of them. That that well that was my initial thinking period, and I wanted that because I want to show as much of the head as possible. So like if you look at at this one, this is a Pierce Lions Reserve that it's it's really dirty, which is awesome. But what what they did is they they would take their barrels and take white paint to cover the labels or on the end of them, and then spray everything in black. But it's a great contrast. They have a ton of information. And it's in letters you can see. It's not these little stamp roller things, okay? So those are my favorite ones to actually get my hands on to build because of the story they tell, you know? And of the 25 that I've built, uh, four of them have been Alltech Pierce Lions Reserve heads. And Dr. Lyons passed away a little over a year ago. 
you know, but there, I got, I got to meet him a couple of years ago and it was a wonderful, you know, visit. He was very supportive, very encouraging. His son, Mark is a guitar player. So there's some really neat things we talked about that I'm going to continue to believe are going to come to fruition. And they've purchased guitars from you. They, yeah, they actually uh, own the one that's at their, their visitor center downtown. They actually had me build one for their facility in Ireland and that one I um, changed up a little bit. And for because it was in Ireland, the fretboard inlays, I made green, white, and orange clay, which is called the Irish flag, you know. And um, I had that finished. So when I got to meet with him, I was it was really nice to put that in his hands because at that time they were almost finished with a St. James Gate facility. And just the way timing everything worked out was, was just what a wonderful privilege to be able to experience from, a, from an amazing man, you know. And um, so I actually have one of, of theirs, uh, a, a lady in England bought. So there's one that lives in England. Um, she's an artist over there, uh, Lissy Taylor. And um, great, great great girl, great family. And um, so Alltech owns two. This is mine. Um, all of them are named Michelle, all the Alltech ones. Um, and the reason is they are. Um, Alltech was very generous and very kind two and a half years. Well, it'll be three years ago this summer to um, come out and film it took six weeks you know one day a week um, the actual construction process of the guitar that they own that's you know it's on display in the visitor center locked in a glass cabinet between nice bottles of all their offerings you know downtown in Lexington um, so they uh, Michelle Michael Friedel was the lady that's her videographer she won numerous awards internationally um, you know, in Europe as well as here in America, an amazing woman, just ridiculously talented. And she also plays guitar, you know. So um, it was really cool to um, just get to know her and, and subsequently her husband and, you know, her family, and just just great people. Um, but Alltech was very supportive and very encouraging. And uh, Michelle took her 30 hours of film time and um, condensed it down to slightly under eight minutes of a little small documentary and I'm I'm very proud of that work. That is, uh, I don't I don't watch it on a regular basis, but every time I watch it, I'm blown away and amazed at what I'm seeing, the quality of the cinematography, the, what the story actually is, the story that's being told by the person telling it, and oh by the way, that's me. <laughs> you know, I, I don't look at it as I'm watching myself. I'm looking at it as I'm seeing something that's like, wow, this is just so amazing. And each time I see it, I obviously I feel pride as as the builder and the creator. Um, but I'm, I'm left with, if, even if I didn't know that was me, and I watched it for the first time, I would want to get my hands on those guitars. I would want to meet the guy that built them, and I'd want to hang out for a while to see how all this goes, because to me it's, it's still amazing. Um, so I'm just very thankful for uh, the opportunities that I have, and um, it's just going to be so neat to see what unfolds. You know, where can people find that video? Uh, it's on YouTube, uh, and I think it's called Guitar Slinger Combines uh, Bourbon and Blues. Um, if you just do a Google search or YouTube search for Bourbon Bro Guitar Company, it'll come up. It's also on my website. Um, I think it's under a news thing there. And again, I, I'm not proud to say I'm behind on keeping that up, up to date, but uh, 
my company is me and my two hands, and I have moral support uh, from, from great people <laughs> like you and Tatiana, who helps me with um, a lot of the PR stuff. And she's, she's just been great with encouraging, um, believing in what it is and the uniqueness of it. So you've spoken to a lot. It's clear you're committed to a particular aesthetic philosophy um, Mm. and every element of the production process being true to um, the components and the story of each instrument from an artistic standpoint. Yeah. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, the decision-making involved in, in designing and producing these guitars from a tone and playing and feel standpoint? Oh, yeah, man. Because um, you are a guitar player. I am a guitar player for f- almost 45 years now. Yeah, I was 12 when I started playing and um, started working on my own stuff about the same time, tinkering with them. Um, I'd say in, if the right type of pride, I'm very, very picky about damn near everything in my life, especially especially these. And so I wanted them to not only look good, not only sound good, I wanted them to feel good and play good okay um when i carve the necks i do not use a template none of the necks are exactly the same profile and the reason i don't is because depending on the actual thickness of the boards how they come out and the grain and a very pleasant surprise um in in building was all the pieces of a barrel are actually quarter sawn so the rays or the the harder dense pieces within the wood go north and south okay that helps with stability if you think in, in construction like an I-beam. Okay. That being said, because they're all different, I just start my carve. I start my rasp, and um, the wood tells me when to stop. Okay. So before I get to that point, I route for um, – I, I use a, an extra heavy-duty truss rod. It's a, by Stuart McDonald's called the hot rod. It's actually two rods. It's not one. There's more control over the movement of the rod okay and that again that's intentional i think from an engineering standpoint that's a great design and then i I step it up even further with um i use graphite reinforcement rods and there's no trade secrets here this is you watch the video you see all this you know um but it's all intentional okay call it overkill call it belt and suspenders it's it's still all intentional and having worked on guitars for so many many years Seeing guitars that have a single truss rod, whether it's an acoustic, an electric, or a bass, generally the necks are just not as stable, okay? And they're not as stable because it's an organic piece of something. It's not carbon fiber. It's not steel. And wood does respond to temperature and humidity, okay? Especially this stuff. Especially this stuff, yeah. And so I had the idea of I want to make these things as – functionally stable as possible again with the parameters of what i actually have to work with so i had a pretty cool thing unfold three years ago i was in nashville for the summer nam and um did a radio interview and a young man came up to me and said my mom's a photographer um she'd be happy to work with you okay thanks man you know and she he gave me a couple uh note cards of her work and one had a black and white strat on it, and one had a sunburst one, kind of like what yours is. So I got home a few days later, and she, um, she sent me an email. And I said, yes, I met your son. He was a very very polite young man. And um, she said, well, I'm, I'm working on a book. I said, 
Okay. She said, it's a, it's a book of musical instrument, historical firsts. I said, okay, how can I help you? <laughs> and she said, well, it's weird how things unfold. And uh, she says, I was in my car and I was, I'm never in my car with the radio on that station at that time of day. But that day I was, and I, I heard you talking for five minutes. She goes, I was really intrigued. I said, okay, thanks. Tell me more about your book. And so she did. And she goes, I want to photograph your guitar, your Buffalo Trace guitar, the very first one you built, because it is a musical instrument historical first. All bourbon barrel. Yeah, all out of a bourbon barrel. Right. I said, wow, thank you. That's very flattering. I'm happy to help you out with that. So um, that turned into, that was in June, and we were trying to coordinate. She lives in Nashville. And so when would be a good time to come down? And she says, whatever other guitars you have that you've made, she goes, I'm happy to photograph them too. And um, she says, I, I would just like to use that in my book when it's finished. I said, well, that's, you know, that's wonderful. And so we're looking at scheduling and um, we're going over stuff. And she said, no, that day won't work. I've got a doctor's appointment. And that day won't work. I've got another doctor's appointment. And I said, um, if you don't mind me asking, and I said, if it's none of my, it, it, it is none of my business. If you don't want to answer, say it's none of your business. I said, but what are you going through medically? She said, I'm a breast cancer survivor. I said, wow. And she goes, that day is a follow-up for this, and that day is a follow-up for a PET scan. I said, no, that, that's wonderful. I said, how far out are you? She says, I'm 10 years. I said, well, I've, I've got a story around breast cancer and a guitar. And that's all I'm going to say. I'll share the story with you in person when we meet. She said, okay, that'd be great. So it worked out, um, I don't know, six, seven weeks later, it was middle, mid, late August, went down and, uh, took seven guitars. And so I showed them to her and she was very sweet. She was very impressed, was very complimentary and just, you know, spent a couple hours just taking pictures of them, interviewing me, put a video camera up and talked about stuff, you know. And when it came time to talk about this one right here, which is Susan, I said, here's why I wanted to bring this. And I, I told her, I said, this guitar, I said, my sister Susan, who was a year younger than me, year and a day, she died November 21st, 1999 of breast cancer with three kids under the age of five. And so at that time, Susan had been gone you know, 16, 16 and a half years. That summer, when I was over, uh, actually in Kelvin Cooperage, no. No, I was in a warehouse in southern Indiana, um, going through and sorting heads and finding heads. I saw two heads with three pink stripes on them. All right. And it, it looks like it's faded pinkish, grayish purple, but it is actually pink. And so... When I saw both of those, I thought, well, I know what I'm going to do with that. And so as I looked at it and tried to research stuff, why are those pink stripes there? Well, a bourbon barrel by law from 1964 can only be used for bourbon one time. It can be used for anything else for any number of years after that. So a lot of times they'll, they'll sell and turn the barrels back in and repurpose them, put brandy in them, whatever. It's likely that that, that was then repurposed for brandy in some capacity. The barrel was disassembled, and here's the head. Okay. I have no idea to know how old those are, but I, I got both of them, and I knew at that point I was going to build a guitar as a tribute to my sister. Three pink stripes, three girls. I've got three daughters, you know, 
And um, so as I'm building that, um, I thought, how can I really mark, you know, make it more significant, significant. And so because Susan was 36, I used um, 36, um, I think six or seven millimeter size Swarovski crystals around the side of the body um, to run this way. And each crystal represents a year of her life. You know, and then while I was building it, I found a pink rhinestone flask, <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's in there as well. But when I when I told um, when I told her, you, that, you actually haven't talked about the flask compartment thing. yet. No. Just, just grab that guitar. We can show people. All right. So on the back of them now, this is actually not a black back. This is another top. But um, I just decided what can I make each of these further unique? Well, I want. And the flask wasn't the first design. The first design was I'm going to try to do mini bottles. And the Buffalo Trace one that's hanging in Frankfurt actually has a mini bottle in a compartment that I put down in here in the cutaway. Took a crazy amount of engineering, and when I realized not all mini bottles are the same size, do something different. Okay, go with flask. Not all flasks are the same size, but I got more room to work with. So I just settled on um, putting the flask in here, you know. So they all have a flask. Um, but when I told her the story, I mean, it, by the time I was finished, we both were crying, literally, you know, and, um, so as she's telling me about her book, she says, my goal is to have 80 chapters, you know, 80 instruments. She goes, you're 47 or 48. Now this was three years ago. I need to follow up with her. So why don't you stop at 50, get 50 instruments, publish your first book, and then do your next, get 50 more. That way, your idea and your art and your vision is out in the world without having to wait. And she says, that's a good idea. I'm not quite sure. And then she said, I, I want someone to meet with you. Okay, who's that? She goes, George Grun. And I said, wow, okay. She says, you know George? I said, I know who George is. Yeah. And she goes, well, George and I have been friends for 10 years. Wow. And I said, okay, how'd that unfold? She said, I reached out to him. As I started this idea of this project, because people would bring me these instruments, and if they're guitars or stringed instruments, he's a historian. He's here in Nashville. He's been around 40-something years. He's like a world authority on so much stuff. And she goes, I needed his help to authenticate the stories I was being told. Some of these instruments he had seen years ago. She says, so he's been a really huge help in the authentication process of what I'm doing. And she goes, I like you. I think this is such a cool idea. And I think he'd be interested. So that turned into, uh, so I said, okay, that'd be great. So she called him while I was there. And so I got down there Sunday. She talked to him Sunday night. When I got back there Monday, Monday morning, she says, okay, George says, come. She said, we'll be back to, wrapped up by about one o'clock. She goes, he gets back from lunch about one. He said, I'll just go by and see him. He'll, he'll give you some time. Oh, okay, cool. So we finished up, you know, thanked her for her kindness and her hospitality and um, went by Groons and walked in with two guitars, walked in with Susan. And I walked in with um, one I don't have with me, a buddy of mine owns, Penny, that's uh, actually inlaid with pennies on the top in a polka dot pattern like Randy Rhodes' Flying V was, you know, because this guy loves loves Randy Rhodes' work and has a reproduction of the Serval V, the black with the white dots. Uh-huh. So anyway, I had those two guitars that I actually took in with me. And um, so George, he was real kind. We walked up to the second second floor. His office is up there. He's got a bunch of snakes in there and his, his cages. And he says, uh, 
can you help me do some clean out? Sure, George. So I helped him clean out some of the cages. Here, hold this. Okay. He goes, you want some of their sheds? Sure, I can use those, you know. So after we spent some time there and he let, because he's a herpetologist, you know, by training. So, and he's, you know, and it was really cool that he shared, I've never seen that many snakes anywhere. I never want to, you know. They were not poisonous, but they're constrictors and Anyway, you like snakes or you don't. I'm, I'm door number two. I can deal with them, but I'm not going to have a pet. Um, but I, I respect the way God made them, and they're, they're beautiful animals. Um, so then we went out, and he showed me some of his special favorite guitars. And he took me up to the third floor, and that's where I got to meet the guys that are doing the luthier work, the restoration. And he took me in a another back room that had like eight high, four wide, like four units of probably close to 300 guitars. They're mostly 50s, 60s, 70s, historical significance guitars um, that are now part of a collection that I think is owned by either Belmont or Vanderbilt. I can never keep it straight, which some of these instruments, um, well, they're all historically significant. And part of the program was they're made available um, to students to actually play on and check out like a library book That's amazing. which is an incredible yeah because they're not just collecting dust you know yeah. so he says he's going through and i put my finger on one he says get it down so I opened it up it was a 1960 cherry sunburst les paul standard yeah price tag two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars right on it yeah picked it up strummed it you know not plugged in so i've i've actually played one <laughs> you know no man it was it was like that's how i feel when i go in there or go into carter man I, I just it was like okay i've got a chance to play something that's older than i am it was two years older than me it was it was in great shape um and oh by the way the historical significance of it but yeah. it just was a neat thing sure if i never have a chance to do that again i've done it once you know it lasted 10 seconds it was good it was it was really cool but it's, it was just like picking one of these up and strumming it, except this wasn't made in 1960 and it valued at $250,000. That's kind of how I look at, at, at guitars. You know, They can't help who made them. They can't help what's what name's on their headstock. They can't help their construction. They're musical instruments. What did know? he say about your design? It was really cool. He strummed them. He goes, wow, these things are loud. Yeah. And he goes, they're extremely resonant. I said, that's right. He said, you know what? what's the sign of the best electric guitar? I said, what's that, George? He goes, how loud they are unplugged. I said, okay. He says, these are some of the loudest guitars I've ever heard in my life. I said, okay. And then I put myself out there. And it was, it was like with Paul, okay? If you ask someone a question... If you're going to ask, you better be person enough, I'll say man enough, or whatever, to accept the answer that comes. Yeah. Okay. It's like when you pray for something, you know, as a Christian, man, if you're asking God for something, can you handle how he answers you? He's going to answer you. Right. You know? Same thing with the builds. All right. And so I said, George, would you do anything differently on these? I said, with what I've explained to you, what I have to work with, why I'm working, he said, no. He goes, I think your intonation's off on one of these. And it's just, this note right here, it was. He He's said, just moving a saddle, He said, though. that's an adjustment. That's not a design yeah, change. Right. I said, George, thank you for your honesty and your candidacy and just giving me your time today. He says, I think it's great. So, you know, 
he didn't offer for me to sell them there. I didn't ask to sell them there. That was not the purpose of the purpose of me going there was here is a world renowned historian of musical instruments who has expressed interest in seeing what I'm doing because a photographer who is his friend believed in me and what I'm doing enough to reach out to him to ask him for two hours of his time as a gift to me. That's so stinking cool, man. No kidding. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, it's cool how candid the interaction was and not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm very thankful, you know, for that opportunity. Um, I can't wait to see the book that comes out. So as I'm talking to Cheryl, the photographer um, and the author, She's showing me some note cards. I said, oh, yeah, your son gave me that one and that one. She goes, well, that black and white one is the first Stratocaster ever built. And she she gave me the history on it. Well, what she's done is she's printed a little story on the back of each one, okay? And then the the, the two-tone burst Strat was the very first two-tone. So it's – and she's not a musician, okay? It just was such a cool thing to be a part of and to be involved in, you know? So I'm just excited about when I'm dead and gone, th- those truths don't change. You know, um, in any anything in this world in life, only one person can do something for the first time. Okay. And so I've I thought about this on a spiritual, on a philosophical level, and I've shared this with you. What are the odds, okay, um, of any point in history of someone being alive for what period of time? Well, the odds are you count the years, how many people are born, and do the math. Okay. And then you start adding in other variables with period in history, living in that period in history, then being a guitar player or a musician, then being a guitar builder, and then living in an area where bourbon is made, and then in the right cultural time, Dude, I, I can't do the physics of the math <laughs> for what that number is. You know, bottom line is, and I just, I allowed myself to just accept the reality of it is what it is. For some reason, God entrusted this to me, gave me the desire and the opportunity of my heart, um, gave me the intelligence, gave me the physical capacity, gave me the hands, the head and the heart and the mind, um, gave me access to being able to pay for a place to do it. You know, nothing in life is free. You can barter stuff, but everything takes money. Money's just a tool. And you either have enough to do what you want to do or you don't. Whether it's buying a house or, you know, having business cards printed. It's all the same concept. And so that's how I look at, you know, what I'm doing. That's how I look at what life is. Try to just keep a really good, focused realistic filter on, on everything. Okay. So then back, you know, with the design build, all right, working with the limitations of what the parameters are that I are self-imposed. Um, I started thinking about was I was even starting to build it. I looked up, there's nothing in the patent office. All right. What are the requirements? Fine. I, I kept handwritten records in a notebook that's cloth bound that you can't take pages in and out of in ink dated, signed by certain people at certain times, witnessing 120 pictures. I mean, it's, it's all documented, sitting in a safe deposit box. Got the first and finished, middle of June in 15, and uh, spent a week at night work navigating the website of the patent office and trademark office, 
back and forth over four years. It still isn't where I want it to be. I haven't been issued the patent because a patent lawyer who's not a musician doesn't seem to understand the concept that a internal compartment, a flash compartment on an electric guitar is not the same thing as the dreadnought body of an acoustic guitar. That's the point of stipulation at this point. So I've talked to my attorney and he goes, he says, you took the hard road, you did it on your own and you, you filed the kind that's hardest to prove. Okay. I want to get in the system and fine. It's, I, I wouldn't even say pilot error. I knew what I was doing, but I didn't really know what I was doing, but I still did what I did. Knowing that they're always going to want revisions, you know, like a college professor, you, you never write your first, your, your best term paper the first time you leave stuff out. And then when they say changes, change that, then you put in what you were going to put in, but you knew they were going to knock you down because no one ever gets it right the first time. Okay. So what we need to do now is just file for a different type of patent, a design patent, not a utility patent. It, that's more of an aesthetic. Okay, fine. But the thing I, I find, um, for lack of a better word, it's not even comforting, but I know there's no one that can get in front of me in the patent office with my design. They've, These are PAF guitars. They're PAF guitars. That's right. They're patent applied for. If someone comes up with my idea, they're going to get shot down just like I got shot down. So they've got to come up with an idea that's not my idea to do something that's what I'm doing that's not possible because it'd have to be different. So I'm I'm fine to wait for that time and, and you know make this happen and be patient. And then eventually be awarded the the patent for the intellectual property, which I'm going to believe is going to happen. Um, that's just a really cool thing to me, you know. So then with the design of these, um, I like the idea, again, of most of them, single volume control, pick up wide open, wrap around bridge. No tone control. When you plug in, what you're hearing is completely the sound of the instrument, the pickup with nothing taken out, nothing reduced. The wraparound bridge offers you more sustain. The internal structure, these are semi-hollow, but they're framed like I-beams. There's a skeleton in them. There's complete glued physical contact from the front to the back. The bridge, I make a solid block that the studs are recessed into, again, for resonance and sustain. These things are loud. They're very loud guitars. Um, I get them finished. I've got friends that are local players. I just put them in their hands and say, where are you guys out this week or next week? We got something. fine. Take it, play it. Let me know if, if I need to do anything differently. Find, tell me if you find a high spot. If I miss something, um, they bring them back, and it's like, man, you nailed it. That makes me feel really good. That's an understatement, okay? Because I, I'm a human being with hands. I'm not a computer cranking out a CNC thing that there'd be no excuse for for anything to be wrong with. There's never anything wrong with these. That's not what I'm saying. It's just I'm 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 satisfied with the level of what these are that I'm able to achieve with basic tools and two hands and a, and a heart and a head putting time into it, you know. And these, I, I I'm very proud to say that you know show me another guitar player who builds his own guitars of this quality, and that other people recognize the quality and will say, man, these necks feel like they're old fringe and way broken in. All right, they do. That that's quite a compliment to receive. It's also extremely intentional with effort going into it. You know, because I build them like I'm going to keep them. And like I said, I'm real picky. Once I know I get to that point where I'm satisfied with it, being realistic for what it is, then I'm very happy to put it in someone else's hands. I'm very able to let it go if someone has enough money to buy it and wants it. 
you know. And a, a really weird thing, and it didn't take me that long to wrap my head around as a luthier, as an instrument builder, the whole goal of building an instrument is for it to be heard and played, okay? That's not my main goal. As crazy as that sounds, those words come out of my mouth, it's, it's still as weird because I, I play. My main goal is for these to be seen, purchased, and seen and appreciated. If they get played, that's awesome. People are going to love it. Some of the people that own my instruments are not guitar players. They bought them purely because they fell in love with what they saw, you know, and that's, that's very gratifying as an artist of any type of medium. You know, I, I think life is an, is a daily art project. You know, um, I love color, fascinated by color, fascinated by hues, fascinated by butterflies and birds, flowers always have been, um, I've been collecting butterfly wings and butterflies off the fronts of cars for years. You know, just because at some point they're going to be part of the guitars that I build. And if I've got something I can look at and touch, it's still being appreciated. You know, um, that's just who I am as a person, as a builder, as a man. <laughs> so if somebody get, wants to get their hands on one of these guitars, how can they do that? All you have to do is ask. <laughs> yeah. How can they get in touch with you? Uh, I, my website, bourbonbarrelguitar.com. Uh, there's a contact page, email. I got one phone. It's 859-509-7769. Had it for years. It's on my website. That's on my cards. You can text me. You can call me. You can send me an email, mike at bourbonbarrelguitar.com. I look at email once a day. Um, text is, is usually the quickest for me. Um, if you want to play it, come out and play it. I got a showroom, you know, out in Athens. Um, any given time, whatever I've got in inventory or that's not out on the road being tested is there. You're welcome to come by. I got some different amps. You can bring your own. Um, we work out the right thing. I'll bring it to you. You know, one of the things that I, uh, when I had the vision to do this was when possible and I had someone buy it, I wanted to physically deliver it in person. So I uh, got the first opportunity to do that um, two and a half years ago uh, around Thanksgiving, um, drove to New York City. And um, a gentleman bought a, he wanted a Woodford Reserve guitar for his dad's 60th birthday. So I drove it up to Manhattan and got to stay with my sister. He hadn't, you know, hadn't seen her in a while. It was great to connect with Jenny. Um, delivered it up there and realized, yeah, New York City is way too big, man. <laughs> way too big, way too expensive to park and tolls and you know, all that stuff. But it was a neat experience. And, um, so what I decided to do was um, I was staying, you know, right downtown um, in Manhattan. And it was, uh, I think it was like, it was a six or seven miles. It was like 60 blocks up up the island, um, midtown, whatever, to where we, we met. So I got a ride up there, took the guitar. Guy loved it. You know, um, he wanted, initially he said, we, we take a discount and a couple bottles of Pappy. I said, I'd love to, but I need the money more, you know. <laughs> And so anyway, we met, went in, and he loved it. You know, had a, had a drink, and then I thought it was like three, three or four o'clock. This was in November. I'm going to walk all the way back down to uh, where I was staying, down by the stock exchange, and uh, it was a long walk. <laughs> and uh, it was cold, but it was amazing because I got to you know go through different ethnic neighborhoods. Um, went by Grand Central Station, went into Grand Central Station, walked through. Um, 
made some little detour and walked right in front of um, a, a Russian uh, goods store and I went in and because um, I just met Tatiana like five weeks prior to that and uh, she uh, had made a huge impact on my life already at, at that point. And I decided it was a month before Christmas. So I went in and picked up a couple Russian-made Christmas ornaments, the old, some of the glass ones. One was a tree and one was a little bluebird. And um, so it was, it was cool to be able to buy those for her in a Russian store, you know. Um, and then walked, you know, some more down and, and found just some other really cool stores and just, to, you know, look in windows and see the activity of just what was going on, you know, the week of before Thanksgiving in New York City. Um, it just was an amazing experience, but man, by the time I got back, you know, five or six hours later, cause I, I was in, uh, my motorcycle boots, which they're not great for long distance walking. They're, you know, pretty sturdy, but my feet were tired. My knees were hurting, you know, but it was just a cool experience. So got to deliver that one. And then, uh, a year later, uh, a friend of mine, um, lives in Charleston. He's a, he and his wife are good friends of Tatiana's and we'd visited them and he loved what I'm doing. He's not a musician. And what's interesting is his birth date is the same in his initials DSP as the stamp for Woodford. I, I can't read what it is. It's DSP something 48 or 49, whatever. But anyway, the, the, the initials lined up with something related to what's initials lined up. Yeah. So it was just really cool, you know. So um, anyway, he went down to uh, – there's a there's a, a German <clears throat> chain called Vomfoss. They have stores in the U.S., and it's a small store. One side sells specialty boutique-flavored olive oils, and the other side sells specialty boutique scotches and whiskeys from all over the world, all right? And so um, he went in and talked to them, and – one of the owners, it's a husband and wife, they're really cool. He happens to be a guitar player. And so he looked at the website and his wife reached out to me and said, very interested. So we, when we went down to visit, took some pictures and um, looked through them and he wasn't there. So she says, I'm going to do this as a surprise for him. Okay, fine. So um, I was going to, it's it worked out. My uncle had just passed away down in Knoxville and um, within a couple of days of when I'd lined up to visit to go to Charleston to let him have his guitar that he didn't know he was getting. So I rented a car, put six or seven guitars in, went down, um, buried my uncle and, you know, spent time with my dad. And then the next day drove to Charleston. Well, her husband had reached out to me through the website and was asking me questions but didn't realize that his wife had reached out to me and so i'm generically answering him kind of putting him off right and i offered to him you know actually i've, I've got to make a trip in the next few days i'm happy to load up what i have and you can you know take a look well then within 24 hours he sent me a note back he goes okay my wife came clean i, I know which one i want <laughs> Fortunately, I had it with me because yeah. the guitar he chose was a Buffalo Trace uh -huh. one that I had done a special bottle shape head stock of the actual Buffalo Trace bottle, which has a little wider bulged out piece at the base of it. Well, that guitar, a friend of mine, uh, Paul Turley, who owns Penny, the one I was talking about, was with me at NAMM in, in 16. 
he um, he goes, man, he says, every overnight sensation takes 10 years. He goes, I believe in you. He goes, I'm going to help you however I can and help you. He called Guitar World and lined up. And at that time, they had a section that was the very last page of, of each monthly issue. It might get weird, not wired. Okay. Well, he goes, send me pictures of, of a guitar. So I sent him the picture of the Buffalo Trace one. Well, it ended up in the August issue of 2016 with Prince on the cover. Now, it came out in June because you know how they put stuff yeah, out. right. Prince had just died. The very last page of that magazine. Whole page. Whole page. Yeah, that's there, great. Then there's the guitar. So it was really, and I, have, I still have a couple of those copies of that magazine left. It was so cool to be able to meet the guy at his place of business with his wife and say, here's the one you chose. I says, I brought the rest. She goes, I know the one I want. Gave it to him, showed him the magazine, you know, and we, we're still friends. He actually had me and Tatiana come down to Charleston uh, three, four weeks ago for a promotional event at Von Foss. And we're going to go back sometime in the fall, you know, so we, she and I played for on and off for two hours, just acoustic stuff, right in the little foyer of people coming in off of King street in Charleston. Yeah, it was really neat. So um, the one going to California, Miss Jennifer, it remains to be seen if I'm going to fly out. I'd like to take the time to drive out. Honestly, don't think I'm going to have the time to have do it. Have you ever made that trip? I've not driven it. I think everyone that grows up in this country should do that at some point in their life. It's going to happen. It's amazing. It, it's going to happen. I did it in 2010. And I've, I've, I've flown to the Southwest and rented motorcycles and ridden around some, and I know I love that. Um one of these summers, maybe next or the following, I want to take a month and just ride out west, you know. Um, but anyway, so it, it's important to me if I can deliver in person. And then people that have bought them, you know, locally close, obviously, come on over, man. Here it is. I'll bring it to you, that type thing. But just the personal aspect of I'm not just – these are not just commodities. Right. Okay. These are pieces of art that happen to be amazing guitars. They're pieces of me as a person, as an artist, as a creator. They're bonding tools um for me it's relationship first with anybody and then the guitars are second just like at my shop you know people come and hang out and um it's about relationship first yeah i've I've got to get stuff done i've learned how to multitask and and deal with varying personalities (laughs) you know but it's all part of it you know i'm thankful that people care and that they want to be around what i'm doing you know um I'm, i'm just a very blessed person i'm the most blessed man i know you know the other thing with george and it it actually adds further truth um for the first two years and i haven't done it as much lately but i mean i still do it some year round i'd keep one or two guitars in my truck hot or cold to intentionally subject them to environmental extreme okay people the, the rule of thumb, when they'll, well, is it safe for me to keep my guitar? The rule of thumb is where you're comfortable, your guitar's fine. Where you're uncomfortable, your guitar's not fine. Acoustic, electric, whatever it is, you know. And so by keeping them in the, in the cabin of the truck in the summertime, it gets 120, 130 degrees. Well, you open up the case and you can feel the heat coming off of it and out of it. I'll tell you what, man, it smells incredible because that wood heats up and the bourbon that's still in that is just, it's released. In the wintertime, 
you know, they're real cold. You, you touch them and you, it's like your finger sticks to it, you know, like Christmas story. You lick the bridge and oh, now, now you're hosed, man. You got to get some bourbon to, to melt that ice. Um, in the summertime, I'll even sometimes just at the back of my shop, just lay them out directly in the sun on the concrete. They're absorbing heat ridiculously that way. And I'm doing it again to stress the necks. They're fine. They, they need adjusted less than any production instrument I've ever seen hanging on a wall in any store. And I've spent a lot of time in, in places like that working on stuff, you know. Is that because this wood has already spent its lifetime adapting to that? You know, I, I really do. Out? I really do think that plays a part in it. Um, I'm not a physicist. Yeah. But when, when you think about it, this, this wood would be the reform school kid wood. Yeah. You know, they've, they've had a hard life. They just can't land on their feet. And they're pushed and stuck there because there's nowhere else to put them. Okay. And I, I, I say that that's a sad situation to me and from a social standpoint. But this type of wood, this isn't treated properly. It, it's abused as wood intentionally, environmentally, and with liquid, no right. less. You yeah, know, right. So um, it's pretty temperamental at times, which is, again, why I've you – know, is it overkill? No. It's trying to make these things as stable as they can be when – there, nothing about them, when you look at other ones, it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison of, oh, this is going to be stable because, well, this is going to be unstable because, you know. But it's by design. And so I like a challenge. And I've met this challenge. I continue to meet this challenge. I learn with each one of them. Um, the density in these pieces of wood varies, even though it's all the same genus and species or genus and species. Um, I've figured out how to make them continue to keep them stable, but take some of the weight out. And it, it's design, you know, um, it's, it's just pretty cool stuff. You know, each one gets better. Each one I learn something, you know, new on. Um, and I love each one of them as if they were my own kids, you know. And I've had a few situations I've been presented with that have confirmed that, whether I wanted it to be confirmed or not. I already knew it, but I really know it now, you know. <laughs> So you don't, you don't, at this point, you don't have a day job per se. This is your job. You're a full-time guitar builder and luthier. I am. And uh, I do guitar repair, you know, as well as in my shop. So that is making day-to-day possible because of the time these take to build. Um, as one set of hands, I might be doing a pickup installation for you. Well, if I'm doing that, I I can't take that time and do something on on that so I, I balance each day with what are the requirements of the day obviously if you come to me you need something done you need your guitar back tonight or tomorrow or next week these aren't even guitars yet there's no deadline on these okay so i've got a good head about prioritizing my time and my energy and my efforts um i want to make you happy as my customer eventually i'll make you happy as my buyer if we get to that point whether it's you or someone I haven't met, I'm not going to meet for three years, you know. Um, but I'm what I'm very thankful to be able to say is seven days a week. Uh, my life is very flexible. I got an amazing boss. Dude's really cool. Um, he can make I can make as much noise as I want. He doesn't care. Um, he doesn't care what time I show up because he knows if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Um. But also have the luxury of every day that I get out of bed before I go to sleep, I've either worked on a guitar I'm building, 
I've worked on a guitar for somebody I know, somebody I don't know. My work on it is making it better for them. I'm able to listen to music whenever I want, whatever style I want, in my truck, in my shop, in my house. I'm able to play music, whatever I want, with whoever I want, whatever that looks like. Um, I'm able to go hear music of either major artists at some arena or, you know, a, a small thing like we went to Red Barn last night, you know, and um, it's it's the same, though, because it's, it's people playing music and it's going to hear it and taking it in. Um, what a combination, man. You know, I mean, seven days a week, everything I do, I enjoy. Oh, yeah, there's some money attached to it. it it's fine. It's uh, That's in God's hands. I do my part each day. I show up. And I've got amazing support. My family is behind me 100%. I got great parents. Both of them are still alive. Both of them support what I do. Um, my brother is awesome. He's three years younger. Um, it's just there's, there's no negative in my life at this point. It took a while to get here, you know, but um, meeting Tatiana has really helped just who she is as a person and how she lives her life and the values she has. She's an amazing example of grace and generosity and kindness and love, period. There's no there's no stipulation. There's no but. There's no if. That is who she is. And that is the gift that that is to me and everyone who knows her is incredible, you know. And then combine that with she's also an artist and a musician and a singer. Um, but from day one... She just absolutely has been enthralled by what this is. And what's really cool and how the universe unfolds, how God plays chess, you know, whatever. Right when I met her was within, it was like the day after the, uh, the Altec video was released. And so I remember um, I met her at a, two years, 29 weeks and uh, three days ago at uh, Common Grounds Coffee House, you know, here in Lexington. And I met her over her. I went to see somebody who didn't show up to play. She was there. We both had a mutual friend. We talked. We introduced. And she had a baby, Taylor, that uh, needed some love. I have my 12-string in my truck. So I said, uh, here's what I do. Here's who I am. I'd like to work on your guitar for you. And she was a little reluctant at first. But okay, fine. There's no pressure. Well, then she said, yeah, sure. It's all good. And um, so I said, well... She lives close to there. So I said, would you please take my 12-string, my Seagull, as collateral? She goes, well, I don't need it. I said, well, I, you just met me. That guy will vouch for me, but this is just insurance, you know. She goes, well, okay. So I walked her up to her apartment. She took it inside, walked her back, and I said, I'll call you later when, you know, when I get your guitar ready. So about an hour and a half later, I sent her some texts and some pictures. She was still there with some of her friends and that turned into some dialogue for the next few hours that night of she played a couple of songs, sent them to me. Uh, she played one on my 12 strings, sent it to me. I now had a recording of her singing and playing that I listened to a lot that night and the next morning and knew that, okay, here's a pretty woman who seems like a really cool lady. And I heard her play and sing. It's like, okay, my interest is peaked, you know? And uh, we met the next morning had breakfast at common grounds and went for a walk up to Ashland park and talked for three hours, you know, and it was a great conversation and just, you know, nothing more than 
any interest in friendship. Okay, you know, I respect that. You got to be friends with somebody before anything else can happen. But what another piece was cool was with the Alltech video, um, I told her, I said, you know, just I'm just going to share something with you. I'm going to ask you to take take eight minutes and go watch this. I said, it just was released literally a couple of days ago. This will tell you a little bit more and show you a little bit more about who I am as a person. And she says, okay, I'll, I'll watch it. And she did. And it was just such a neat thing to be able, if Altec hadn't done that, if Michelle hadn't done such a great job, I couldn't have been able to say that, you know. Um, it still is an amazing piece of work. It's almost eight minutes long that you, someone can sit and watch and go, and well, then the, all the music in it is, then we, we took another day and she says, okay, just start playing stuff. Chain sounds, play songs. So all the music is in it is me playing a bourbon barrel guitar through my amplifier with different sounds and stuff, you know? So, and she, she, she brings it in and out. It, it's real subtle. It's just, it's amazing how well this thing is done. And so... Again, when I look at that from an artistic standpoint, wow, this is just, I wish it was more than the words thank you sure. <laughs> that existed in English. Um, and I, I've told that to Michelle, um, but even with the Lions family, with the support from Alltech, with, you know, I've got a buddy that works there that's been, he opened the door, you know, Dart Likens. And what's so cool about Dart, he, he's like you, he's, he's a really nice person. He's real humble. He's real quiet. And he walked into Guitar Center one day carrying an acoustic guitar bridge. That's all he had. He goes, I got a question. I said, what's that? He goes, well, I rescued a guitar out of the trash, and the bridge was not on it. And how do I reattach it? What do I do? I said, well, we looked at it. had a little bit of a curve. I said, you have access to a sander belt? Yeah, I can belt sand. Okay. Smooth it out. See how that fits on what your top is. What what do you got to start with? Or don't. If you've got pieces that are missing from the body that are on the bottom of this, leave them because that creates your interface of your structure with your glue and the fibers for mechanical stability. So I said, um, I gave him my card and I said, if you have any questions, just you know, come into Guitar Center. I'll come to you. I said, you're, I'm happy to help you however I can. It's just cool. You rescued a guitar out of the trash. Dude, we're wired the same, and I just met you, you know? And so, um, and I take in homeless guitars. You know, you know that as well. And guitars in need and rehab and all that. Some of them have a hard life. But anyway, so he looked at my card, and he goes, wow, that's cool. He said, uh, you build, he looked, he saw the pictures on the back. He goes, so you build guitars out of bourbon barrels? I said, yeah. He said, I work for Alltech. And he goes, would you like me to see if I can get you some barrels and heads? I said, by all means. Well, he says, give me a couple of weeks. Well, the next week was the summer NAM, and I got a call from him when I was driving down there. He says, go by and see this guy next week. He's got some barrels for you when you get back. And that's how the relationship with Alltech began, you know. Um, it's just so cool how, how just things unfold. So <clears throat> something else you've talked to me about is – you have a cool house that you haven't told anybody about. Yeah. Um, but you had mentioned you have this vision for a kind of experience someone could maybe have if they wanted to come here and purchase a guitar from mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last year, uh, we were able to buy a really cool home that was built in 1790, which is two years before Kentucky officially became the Commonwealth as a legitimate entity in 1792. Um 
1980, it was purchased and completely renovated. And so anyway, it's, it came available last year. And um, my family was very supportive and encouraging about let's make this happen. We did this. And so um, we have that. And it's a beautiful old, it was built as an inn originally. So it's, it's all it's solid brick. It's built like a tank. Um, it's got a huge kitchen on the back of it that's, I don't know, 24 by 24. So it's got a cracker barrel sized fireplace in it with the arm that swings to put the pot on. Um, but it's in a, it's right at the main intersection at Athens. You have to stop at the stop sign where you're there right in front of it. And um, so uh, I'm able to have a showroom in the house because the Lexington zoning at some point made it B1. So it's commercial and residential. So it's like, wow, this is cool. So you walk in and one of the two front rooms, um, it's like 19 by 20, 20 by 20. Each of the four rooms on the original structure, two up, two down, have a working fireplace, you know. So I decided to make one of the front rooms on the west side a showroom for the Bourbon Bell Guitars. And so um, it, it's pretty cool. It's constantly evolving because, you know, there's different amplifiers that kind of come and go and want to be babysat. And um, But I, any guitars that I have available are, are there. You know, people can come see them, come play them. Um, when I moved in, there's a the old elementary school is a couple blocks down. And it's not a school per se anymore. It's been a indoor flea market, antique mall, whatever, for 12 years. And it's up for sale right now. But. Anyway, I went over there the month after I moved in, and I found a really neat, oversized jumbo, I don't know what the liter size is, of an old granddad bottle in a frame that looks like an oil derrick. And it, it swings, so it actually rotates. And it's an old granddad bottle, and the frame has an old granddad plaque on it. And I thought, so I set it on top of a barrel that I've got sitting in the show, and I thought, well, that looks really cool. It kind of looks like a, a drilling rig for bourbon. And then I got the idea of okay let's fill it up uh but let's fill it up a special way not just buy old granddad and put it in so then as i thought about it i made the decision with whatever bourbon i have that, that's in there when someone comes to my home whether it's a friend a customer a client a player whatever um Part of the welcoming them into my home and my showroom and who I am as a person and the experience of it is for them to pour a shot into my friendship bottle. Okay. If I can work it out where I talk to him and say, hey, you have a favorite bourbon. Yeah. Bring a bottle with you. Okay. Or I don't have not a problem. And I don't always tell them why. Well, it's like, well, I'm going to be driving. I said, I didn't say we're going to drink it. I just said, bring it with you, you know? So then sometimes that piques your curiosity. Um, But it's been really cool. So then they come and they either pour what they bring or they choose something I have. And then uh, they make their pour. And then I've got a a book. Um, It's a journal, a bourbon tasting journal that I picked up at at Alltech. Um, You know, nice leather cover and you write your stuff in it. So I have them sign the book, date it, and what their pour is, you know? And then people say, "Well, have you drank it?" Well, hell yeah, man! Let's you want to you want to want to have a shot right now, you know. Um, but it's been a really neat thing because then people come in and from a emotional, social, psychological, humanitarian type friendship standpoint, they're they're uh, that they even feel more welcome. You know, it's um, 
um, it's, it's a negative word. It's, it's not disarming somebody, but there's no other way to say in a sales type process, the last thing someone wants to feel is pressured or being sold. Okay. And one of the things when I worked as a repair guy at Guitar Center was people would come in and they'd, they'd need help and picking out a guitar. And so what I would ask them, I'd ask them a multi-part question and I'd say, but before you answer me, I'm the repair guy. I don't get paid money on how you answer me and what you buy. I'm not going to try to sell you something you don't want. You know, what's your budget? What are you looking for? And the nice thing about that is it it um, always made things a whole lot more uh, easy for the customers. And they would get what they wanted or they'd get something within the price range of what they wanted. And that was that's very satisfying and very gratifying for me. You do the right thing first, the money will take care of itself. You know, so even with my instruments that are expensive, and they're 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 rising in price, they're going to be more expensive because I'm going to be building fewer and fewer of them intentionally because these are one of a kind pieces, and there's going to be special, special, special one of a kind ones. You know, coming out in the next four or five years that they're already here. It's just a matter of building them. Um, but I want people to feel welcome. I want people to not want to leave you know and so as part of the experience um i've got a a spare bedroom suite upstairs um it's furnished with the um antique mahogany bedroom suit that belonged to my aunt back in the 40s when she was a child um it's beautiful um canopy bed the high boy the vanity that goes with it um and there's a really nice bathroom, showers, whirlpool tub, you know, that's built in, in with the whole thing. Um, but I can have guests. So if someone, you know, wants to come in and Lexington, they want to buy a guitar. They need a place to stay. I can put them up, you know. If, if they want to accept that, fine. If they don't, I'm not offended. It's just something I can offer. Um, someone comes over and... We sit down, and three hours later, we're a little farther through that bottle than it's safe for them to drive, and it's nighttime. Guess what? I got a really cool couch in the showroom, <laughs> but I got a bed upstairs if they need it, you know? And, and I'm not making light of, of any of that, but the whole point is the guitars are part of what the experience is, okay? If someone has a few days, they want to come to town, and, you know, they want a tour guide. I've been to most of the distilleries around here. I know some of the people at some of them. If we get to meet someone I know, great. If not, I can still show you a good time. You know, um, I know the area. I've lived here since '91. I love the bluegrass. The, the western edge of the Appalachians is incredible. You know, just topographically, climatically, it's never crazy extreme. Um, I just really feel fortunate to be where I am doing what I'm doing. That approach speaks to me as someone. Um as a customer when someone treats me that way because mm-hmm. I'm from a small town in Eastern Kentucky of 2000 people in the County seat. And you don't do business with anybody. I mean, I don't care if it's the McDonald's drive through you don't do business with anybody that's not personal. Right. Um, and that's the way that I was raised. Um, just Southern hospitality. Right. Yep. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I see like on Twitter or different social media platforms, like people will go to a car dealership, uh, and buy a car, and they they put a picture up, and it's like, "Welcome to the Auto Plaza family." Mm-hmm. 
Is that really what's happening there? Or do you sit there for a couple hours and walk out with a car? Yeah. If you ran into your car salesman on the street a year from now, would that person know who you are? <laughs> do you have a relationship, a personal relationship with your car because of who it came from? Uh, you don't. Um, and uh, as a guitar player, as a musician, you may develop a personal relationship with an instrument mm-hmm. because of what you go through with it what and what you make with it. Yep. Um, but I really, really, really like what you're trying to offer with that experience because it's someone purchases a product from you and then they make what they make with it and it travels with them like any guitar would, but they also know it's got your blood in it mm-hmm. um, and they know what it took for you to build it and they know your story and they've been to your house. Um and there really is an authentic relationship there, um, and you're not just selling somebody a product. Um, they're purchasing a product, but they're they're also purchasing a relationship with you that'll yeah. that'll yeah. go oh, forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just so people know, these staves that the the guitar hanger staves, these guitars are hanging on. You made these for me too, and they're awesome. I made the hangers. Yeah, the hangers <laughs> out of staves. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was fun, man. It was fun. I love the idea of it. Yeah. So again, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, if they need guitar work done or they want to play a bourbon barrel guitar, maybe purchase one down the road or if they're ready to buy one mm-hmm. or they want a custom build, how can they do that? Real simple. Uh, website, bourbonbarrelguitar.com. There's a contact page on it. Find it right at the top. My phone number, 859-509-7769. It's on the website. Um, email, contact, Mike at Bourbon Barrel Guitar. There's an info at, it comes right to me. Um, I'm an easy guy to find. I try very diligently to be available to return phone calls if I miss them within a day. Uh, I have machinery going. I can't hear a telephone, you know. Um, with all, And also one of the things that's important to me is to live a balanced life. So I may... I'm not opposed to working 80 hours a week if that's what I have to do. I'm also not opposed to working 10, <laughs> you know? And uh, like yesterday, I had planned on being in my shop, you know, in and out most of the day. I wasn't. I had yard work I had to do, you know, rain's coming here, stuff I'm, I'm working on and just just living life um, as a, you know, yes, I have a company. I am the company. I'm I'm the bookkeeper. I'm the dude that goes and does this. I'm the guy that cuts and builds this. I'm the guy that blah, blah, blah. Okay. So if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. And again, that kind of goes back to when I was in medical sales for 20 years as a, whether an employer, an independent contractor, I didn't sit behind a desk, you know, working in surgery, delivering stuff, a ton of responsibility comes with that. A lot of like what, what you do, you know, and but it came down to if I didn't do what needed to be done, there was no one else to pick up my slack and do it for me. Okay, fine. That was always the nature of the business. That's how I'm wired. But that still takes a person with a special set of qualities and motivation and discipline to be able to execute it. You know, and um, you you shared something with me that uh, touched my heart in a very huge way, and initially. If you just look at how it's written on paper, it might not come out that way, and it might not come out as a compliment, and it might com- not come out as it was intended. Um, but, and and I remember when I first met, and I'm, I'm kind of back and forth. But when I first met you, I think you work in uh, might have been a, for a phone company, 
um, and you brought your guitar in and uh, you had a dress pants and I'm not sure if you had a tie on, but I, I remember, oh, I'm, I'm sure I had a whole I remember, remember yeah. talking to you and thinking, this is a cool dude. And you know, <laughs> I like this guitar. And um, we did talk for probably at least an hour. I do remember that as well. And I think it was a little bit of a, of nut work. I mean, maybe just slotting one out, the string was too high or getting pinched or something. But so here we are three years later. And uh, a couple months ago, you said to me, and this was very impressive to me, and, you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said, you know, the fact that you're still doing this is impressive to me because you could have easily quit. And when I, I look at, and you, you are right, I could have easily quit um, when you look at a lot of external circumstances, but that's not who I am. I, I cannot not do this, you know? And when I look at the amount of, awareness that there is and what what has come to fruition and what has been achieved around the 25 or 26 instruments that I've built um, as bourbon barrel guitars, how I've done it, how I've had to do it, the schedule that I've had to work around, it's really only been on a part-time basis. And so now that I'm full-time devoted to my own repairs and my own builds and, you know, helping people out, to where I am my own thing, my own boss. Um, it's going to be really interesting, good, you know, in, in a positive way to see how this grows and what comes from it. And it, it's also helping me further define and refine and define again what the growth of what this all is, you know. And I've had a bunch of people offer their opinions. Um, some of them have been solicited. Some of them have not been. <laughs> some of them are great ideas, and some of them, as great of an idea as it may be, it's not for me, yeah. and it's not for what I'm doing. It doesn't line up with my heart and my vision of what this is. And the the one, the it's not one, but the, the moving forward direction still seems each day to unfold in a consistent way with what my initial thinking and vision of what these were going to be was and still is is they're not mass produced they're limited production they're going to be even more limited production because of what they are and why i'm doing this you know and then you look at what the bourbon industry is turning into and what's happening there's all these crazy priced single barrel so and so that three years ago no one ever knew existed people appreciate it as a craft people appreciate it as a craft that's right and you know as well as I do, human nature, you see something, you want it. And once you see something and you want it, you generally never stop wanting it. It doesn't mean you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. But my own experience is anything I've ever wanted, I still want if I don't have it. You know, um, That's not a bad thing. That, that's just the way God made people. And I think that's pretty cool because want and need and desire – in the right ways and right motivations serve very good ways in human development, you know, in social development and how we live our lives each day and what we do. Um, but yeah, I've, I've got some things that I'm just real excited about in the next year to two years that are going to be produced um, and appreciated and, so, and, and purchased. So stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Cool. Well, um, Thanks very, very, very much for sitting down and having this conversation. Thank you, brother. And, um, 
you know, I, I admire you and your, your vision and stick to itiveness and um, just everything about what you've articulated here. Thank you. So um, if, if you want to check out a bourbon barrel guitar, give Mike a call. Happy to help you. I'll right. have a drink with you, too, if you want. 